Hey, this podcast is sponsored by our personal finance courses. So if you have problems with mastering your money and you need help, go down below and learn how to master your money. And this is a plan that anyone of any income level can follow. It is simple and easy to follow for any income level in any situation and it's very straight to the point. And if you want to learn how to make money online, go down below as well. And we'll see you in future episodes. What is the best way to make money online for a broke college student? eBay, you can sell your own stuff or find stuff to buy cheap at garage sales and thrift stores. A good example of this, there's a, there's typically within like a 20 mile radius of basically anyone's location of basically a thrift store, a second hand shop, or basically a donation kind of situation. Now I'm not saying that it's really ethical, but it is an option that you could end up doing or even, you know, yard sales. Yard sales, you could probably buy a whole bunch of close all at once and then resell them on ebay so this person says i bought a vintage nba hat a few weeks ago for one dollar and sold it on ebay for one hundred dollars so then there's online surveys most only take 20 minutes they don't pay great but it soon adds up then this is something really if you're just basically bored and you don't really get anything else to do Next one is sell stuff around your house that you don't need anymore, including textbooks you know you won't need for your major. And you can sell these for typically a few hundred dollars depending on the textbook. You could also get a job in online tutoring, I believe at tutor.com. And if there's a subject you're really good at. Next, there's the online translators. So it is not so difficult for foreign language experts to find ways to make money on the internet. In particular, if a person speaks several languages, then he will be able to find enough orders for online translations. So there's text transcribing. This type of activity requires a lot of patience from a person because here you will have to listen to audio or watch a video and then text to provide the listened information. Therefore, a person should understand different accents at a high level to know a foreign language. And if you need to decipher the information not in his native language, and in the case when you need to rewrite the text written by hand from the picture, it is important to understand the handwriting well. You can also lend your voice. Today on the internet, you can find many proposals related to the voiceover. However, it is not quite earnings without investments as you need to have the equipment for recording to do a quality job. Thus, you can borrow your voice for voiceover of different types of text. Services such as Voice Bunny or Voice123R are often used for this. On these sites, it is necessary to register to voice text for money, and after that, you can choose the right offers, execute them, and get paid while sitting at home. In addition, such ordinary earnings on the internet can turn into a professional career. Musicians who create their own tracks with special programs can also sell their work. You don't have to run after music companies, and after all, you can sell not only fully-fledged songs, but also jingles or ringtones. And pretty much someone that created a very good guide like a literal guide and like example of how to do this the correct way is a singer, rapper, songwriter called 
Russ. Just type that in and type in Rust and how to make money. And basically, this is like a pretty famous individual who makes millions of dollars producing his own stuff from the comfort of his house. Now, there are also many online stores where you can put your own MP3 files up for sale, and the most popular among them are iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, etc. In addition, there are various internet services on which you can place music on your behalf and sell it. Resources such as DistroKid and Loud.fm can, can be set aside here. You can also use Shopify and basically pretty much just upload your MP3 file and sell it on there. Now, if there are no ideas for creativity, you can earn online on the principle of buy and sell. But here you need to have startup capital for the purchase of goods, and the essence of such earnings is simple. You need to buy where it is cheap and sell a little more expensive. After all, if you add to the value of the purchased product another 30%, then you could get a good monthly profit. For example, this way sells good on the online platform called OLX. Freelance and copywriting. So this option is suitable for those who want to provide technical or administrative support, and one resource with different activities is Upwork. On this site, customers post information about work and people who are looking for an option of earning, choose the best offer for themselves, and most often it is work at home, at the computer, and over the internet, and web development, editorial services, site optimization, etc. And then there's copywriting and rewriting are the right options for how to earn money quickly, even as a beginner in the field of writing. And you can earn income by generating custom content on special copywriting exchanges. So an 18-year-old friend getting his first bank account or hers and controlling mother decides to come along and add herself to his account and get a debit card. So one of my friends recently turned 18. His mom basically treats him like free labor and she is the dictator. He decided to get himself his own bank account and... When he went to the bank, his mom decided to show up with him and got her herself out onto the account as well as getting a debit card with his account. Now that was a mouthful. He is the primary on the account, so what should he do to either mitigate her on the account or remove her completely? Now here's the situation because obviously it depends on the true dynamics of this kind of familial relationship. But basically, if the thing's actually really toxic between the mother and the son, then what's probably going to need to happen is that the son, your buddy, is going to have to try to convince the bank to close the account. Now, that may not really always happen because in some states, some counties, some countries do this very differently. There's a lot of different rules on this right now they could also make a situation where like hey like maybe if there's like no money actually inside the account right yet he was like hey can you guys please close down this account there's no money in here and i need to get my own account and really what should this person do is be like okay i need to close my account I want no ties with this. I want no cards on this, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully they do it. And if they do it, your buddy needs to go to a whole separate bank and do completely electronic banking. Now, the reason why you want to do that or basically do 100% paperless banking 
is because if your friend is basically living with their mom right now in their current situation, then it could get really, really weird and possibly highly illegal because if a mother is willing to go through these steps to try to get herself onto an account to her adult child, then what's really stopping her mentally from basically going into her kid's mail when they live at her place and then go access his banking information or calling them up, right? Like, if she's willing to cross these boundaries, what's stopping her from crossing other boundaries, right? So you, you got to keep that in mind. So the main thing is to really just close the account. You do not want to share an account with your mother. Like, your buddy does not want to share an account with his mother. You really need to go to paperless banking. You need to be able to completely be independent from anyone else when it comes to your first bank account. Now, of course, some people might say, well, depending on their situation, you could actually get a lot of perks from having your bank account linked to a parent, especially if that parent has like a huge amount of credit or a huge amount of cash within their account, because then that basically brings you onto a situation where you might have more access to financial advisors at the bank. You might have a little bit more interest rate opportunities. There might be more options just in general for you. You might not have to pay any fees depending on the bank. So that's something to think about as well. But again, from what this friend is saying, that is more likely a pretty toxic situation. And I don't think anyone really should ever have to deal with that. I don't think anyone should really want to deal with that, especially when you're trying to get your first account. You want to basically set up your account. You want to set up a strong foundation, like a sturdy foundation, so that you can start building the life that you want to build. And the problem with having someone linked onto your bank account like a parent is that, let's say you start making a good amount of money and you do have a toxic relationship with your mom, right, in this situation. Well, then at any point she would have the legal right to take every single penny from your account okay think about that say you were you just got out of school you happen to take student loan debt which hopefully you never do but let's just say that you do and then you start you know maybe getting paid like a $50,000 after taxes per year say so you're you know potentially saving maybe $30,000, $35,000 per year, hopefully, on the higher end. And that's getting all into this bank account that you have. And then out of nowhere, you wake up one day, you had about $60,000 in there after working like two years, and uh, your bank account's completely cleaned out. You literally have $0.00. And because you made a transaction the night before that didn't get processed till that day, you are now basically overdrafted. So technically, you now owe the bank money. And guess what? That would be completely legal on her part. It would be completely legal on her, your mother, who is basically part of this account, 
to just take every single bit of money out of it, right? Because by putting someone on the account, it basically puts them as like an owner and basically allows them to do whatever they want to like it belonged to them, right? Would you give the deed to your house if you had a house to your mother, even though she has put no money in it or done nothing in it? No, you would not do that. That's just super weird, right? So that's something to really think about, you know? Things can get really complicated very quickly if you're not careful. And even if the friend's mom and him are actually on a somewhat decent basis, if that were to actually be the case, that they're actually a healthy mother and son relationship, well, guess what? You still don't want to be in this situation, right? Because no matter what happens, then your mom can be like, oh, well, I mean, I saw that you spent, you know, $20 at a certain place that you probably shouldn't have. Oh, you... You seem to be buying a lot of alcohol this month. Why are you buying a bunch of alcohol this month? Right? Say like when he's like 21 plus because he's 18 right now. Oh, you seem to be, you know, spending a lot of money on dating apps. What's that about? Are you, oh, you're spending so much on YouTube premium? Like you, you could be like doing like certain things like that. And then your mother would be like, just basically kind of backseat driving your whole life. Do you want that? Do you want your mom to see what you're spending your money on? Do you want your mom to be basically spying on your life? Do you want anyone to be spying on your financial life? No, you do not, right? You do not want anyone to look at your financial documents unless they're the IRS or whatever. And even then, you don't even want them to look at it, right? Because they're kind of slimy. But at the same time, you just want to be free. You want to feel like an adult. You want to feel like you're actually working and building onto something. And the whole like comment about you know building a strong foundation, the reason why that is so important to build a sturdy foundation is because that's basically where you're putting all the weight of what you're carrying, right? And so just think about it. Think about basically trying to climb a ladder where one leg is on a different level, okay? One, it feels sketchy. Two, you feel like you're going to fall at any point. Three, there's a higher chance of you falling, and depending on how high you end up going on that ladder, guess what? It also increases the chance of you facing massive amount of harm. Yet, if a ladder was completely on a sturdy foundation... Guess what? You basically have no risk to you at all. You got to think about it like that. You need to have a very strong foundation so that you don't have to really worry about stuff, so that you can start building the life that you want, and so that you can start doing things that you really want to do, right? Like, geez, you don't want your mom spying on you. Come on now. But feel free to give your thoughts as well, what you would do. By the way, if you're having problems with mastering your money, as in you have a lot of debt, you have a lot of student loan debt, you have a bunch of credit card debt, you don't know really how to really just manage your finances, 
Well, you can learn the secret to mastering your money down below in the description of this episode, and you can end up following a very simple and easy to follow along plan that anyone of any income level can do. And it's super simple to follow along. And it's designed to be super simple so that you can stick to it. Because making things super complicated or super lengthy or doing like a whole bunch of nonsense won't give people results. You got to get things into a very simplified manner and a very step-by-step process so that people can just go and do and live how they want to live. By the way, you can check out 40 and basically send us an email. You could use like a completely anonymous email or something like that. And basically let us know about your personal finance situation or personal finance question and we will try to find the right path for you. Or you could just submit your own story and we might turn it into a future episode because personal finance is personal. So everyone has their own little personal story, but it can still help out someone else. Because even though you might feel alone that you might be the only one dealing with what you're dealing with, someone else might be dealing with something worse or something a little bit less than you, but you can still relate to one another. So I just want people to be better with their money so that they can live a more free life. Because I think everyone deserves that. Downgrading my car to eliminate my car payments and check out 40inbox.com to master your money. So a few months after graduating college and settling down into a stable job, I purchased a new 2018 Subaru Crosstrek for $28,000 in March 2018. I do not really regret buying this car since it is very solid, and I was planning on owning this car until it passes away. It has been perfect for any snowboarding, hiking, kayaking trip I have taken so far. I also have been aggressive with my car payments and only have $14,000 left on the loan. However, the market for selling used cars seems to be very good right now. I heard that people have been able to sell their cars over the KBB value. By the way, this is true. Out of curiosity, I checked my car's Kelly Blue Book and Carvana value, and the KBB's instant cash offer was $20,900, and Carvana's offer was $21,900. Owning a newer car has been great, but if I could sell my car for twenty-two dollars to $23,000 and buy something used for eight dollars to $10,000, I would essentially not have any car payments. Technically speaking, you definitely would not have any more car payments. Now, I really do not see any downsides with downgrading my car if it means I wouldn't have any car payments, but I wanted to get your guys' thoughts before I jump to any conclusions. I would also like to add that I still have $50,000 left in student loans to pay off, so any extra money I am saving is going towards that. So one way to really view this 
for somebody else in a similar situation is that technically speaking, let's just say like, you know, like $14,000, right, left on the loan technically really isn't that bad because, yeah, your car might be worth more than that, but that's how much you owe, right? So that amount owed isn't really that much. Now, the thing is, I don't know what this person technically makes per year. Like if they make per year, you know, let's say $50,000 and they have this car, I would honestly just, like if I was in this situation, I'd probably just keep the car and just go harder on the car payments to get it paid off within a year, right? Because the car isn't completely out of means, right? Here's the thing, right? You do not want to be car poor and you do not want to be house poor and you want to build a strong foundation. The problem is with with the situation that he's actually in, him having these student loans makes his foundation pretty wobbly, right? That being said, a car loan, right, or like a car worth technically isn't that bad if it's under half of your annual income, right? You shouldn't take it, especially if you have other debt. But the thing is, he's already in this car. And I mean, look, if you were to go buy a car, like he says, it'd be like eight to $10,000. Is It doesn't really make much sense, right? Like the difference really isn't enough for it to really make a huge impact. Yes, he would be at a debt when it comes to cars but the way you gotta view it because again i don't know what this person's income actually is let's just say you know fifty thousand dollars he's going to have to spend you know maybe two to three years paying off his student loan debt right so if that's the case then after that he's going to have to basically increase his car because he's going to upgrade the car because you know eight to ten thousand dollar car depending on the car would need to be updated fairly soon, right? Again, it depends on the car. So it might be a better situation because obviously we don't know how much he makes or she makes, but basically it'd probably be better to just keep this car, be much more focused on getting this car payment done so that you can hammer down your student loans so you could have that super strong foundation to start your life on a very good footing, right? And anyone else in like a similar situation, this is something that you probably should do, right? It's something that you should really think about it. Is the difference big enough for the hassle? To me, this is not really worth the hassle. This isn't really worth the hassle having to sell the car, buy another car, making sure the car is cheap enough to where I could actually pay off all these loans that I have for the car, right? It's like... Like, you want to just be like, eh, like, is it really worth it? That's the thing that you also got to really think about, too. Like, is it worth your time to go through this hassle, right? Because another way to view it, right, is that, okay, it'd be like a 4,000 difference, basically. And let's just say you work a side job for two months, okay? There's your $4,000 right there. Like, was that difference worth it? right? Or maybe you could just, you know, not go out to eat. And there you go. That's the difference, right? So it all depends on, you know, 
what your personal life is actually like, what you're actually doing in your life. And that's something to really keep in mind and think about because, you know, look, personal finance is personal. But the thing is, you do not want to be car poor. You don't want to be house poor. You want to be pretty stress-free in how you go about do, like doing things so that you can do it for a very long time, right? And what I mean by that is that it's basically like a diet situation, right? You can diet hard in the very beginning, but then to maintain something, you're going to have to start scaling it back a little bit and then, you know, do that for the rest of your life kind of situation, right? So, for example, we could use this whole debt situation, right? He could go super hard in getting rid of this debt in the form of selling the car and then buying a car in cash and then going super hard on his student loans, but then scale it back to the point where he has more of a life and then is able to maintain more of a life, invest more, enjoy more of his life. But like, again, you can't like, you can't have your foot to the gas pedal a hundred percent of the time for more like more than like a decade or something, right? So depending on what this person's income actually is, you might want to work super hard for like the first three or four years so that you could get completely out of debt, so that your foundation is super strong, so that you could scale back a little bit and live a livable life. And enjoy your life and then start investing and do the things that you really want to do, right? Because no one wants to work super hard just so that they can basically get themselves out of the hole. No one really wants to do that. You want to work super hard so that you can get something that you really want. You can invest how you want to do. You can go on trips on to certain places that you want to do. Like you want to work, you want to get to the point where when you work hard, you have like a direct return from that. And something that you are passionate about or something that you are truly enjoying. The whole purpose of working hard in the beginning to get rid of this debt is so that later on you can live a super amazing life with a super less stressful weight on top of your shoulders, right? So that's something to really think about in this situation or even similar situations, right? Because a lot of people don't really factor this in at all and... You know, feel free to share this if you hear this to someone else who might need to hear this. But a lot of people don't even realize the mental health issue that carrying a lot of debt has on them or having to face like a lot of different financial stressors, right? That's like a factor that people either don't want to admit, they don't want to talk to to anyone else because, you know, finances can be super personal. And the thing is, if you are able to... like build a strong foundation when it comes to financial speaking, then it makes it easier to deal with other things in life, right? For example, if you have a strong financial foundation, then let's say, you know, a family member passes away, right? You know, God forbid. Well, guess what? Yes, it will be hard. Yes, you'll cry. Yes, you'll probably get super depressed, you know, for a very long time, right? And you'll keep on getting depressed. But if your financial foundation is strong, then you don't have to stress about a roof over your head. You don't have to stress about eating. You don't have to stress about feeding your kids if you have kids. You don't have to stress about, you know, not being able to spend time with, you know, your significant other 
doing whatever because you're able to, you know, still go on dates. You're still able to do stuff with them. You're still able to spend time with them. You're still able to show that you care about them, right? Because if you are struggling with money, it makes everything harder. Whereas if you are not struggling with money, yes, you have other struggles, but they're not like an exponential stressor, right? It's not something that can like just continuously escalates and scales up, like as like you know to the tenth power, basically of oh my god, you know, is my life ending or something like that, right? But if you have a strong financial foundation, it basically takes a weight over your shoulders. It basically unshackles your legs, and you just feel honestly probably a little bit more safer either in your own mind or just in your life so that's something to really think about that a lot of people do not ever think about or even talk about because maybe they're too embarrassed or something but feel free to watch more or listen to more episodes feel free to check out 14box.com to contact us your personal finance story or question and you can learn the secret to mastering your money below and you could actually join and basically learn a very simple and easy plan to mastering your money that you can stick to, right? It's very simple to understand, but it's something that anyone of any income level can stick to. And that's the biggest thing about it is that anyone can do it and they can stick with it. That's the main thing. It's super uncomplicated, right? Now, you can also learn to make money online below, but that's another thing. Uh, feel free to share this with someone who might need to learn more about finances and just keeping, oh, getting a stronger financial foundation. And we'll see you in future episodes. I got stock options in a startup. Welcome to 4newbox.com where you can learn how to master your money. Hello, folks. I recently got an offer from a startup with $20,000 stock options. I'd like to understand what does it mean in terms of cash value. The offer didn't provide the strike price, but the company did mention that the strike price is roughly 25% of the target stock price. I have two understandings, but not sure which one is correct. Assume the strike price is $2. I assume I can buy 20K divided by 2, which equals 10K shares of stocks. In the future, at the exit of IPO, then I can exercise the options by paying $20,000 and be holding 10K shares of company stock. If everything works right, I know, I know, only a tiny chance, then the stock price would be eight dollars the target ipo price then i'll be holding eighty thousand dollars equity which is my gain is sixty thousand dollars so the other understanding if we're lucky the company goes ipo then i'll be holding an equity worth of twenty thousand dollars which of my understanding is correct or neither is correct Thank you for your advice. Now, this answer to this kind of like question that this person had is actually an answer from r slash personal finance because this is also where it was taken from. And I thought it was a very good answer for this specific situation. So let's get into it. By the way, also, this whole thing was like vest for four years with a one-year cliff. It is 
non-standard to quote a dollar amount of stock options. However, generally the understanding would be as in one, you have the option to spend $20,000 on company stock at the agreed upon st、uh, strike price. However, some very important caveats. The target price is almost completely meaningless. There is zero guarantee any potential IPO would be at such a price, and even less likelihood it will happen at all. So your option will be granted with a strike price equal to the fair value of one share on the day of grant. Known as the 409A valuation. This is required by tax law, and it is critical that you do not get misled into thinking the shares are worth more than that. Quite simply, they aren't. Therefore, at grant, the face value of one option is always zero dollars. And the evaluated Black Shoals value is strictly less than the strike price. Maybe fifty to sixty percent of strike is a decent estimate. So any reasonable fair value calculation of one option cannot support a higher value. So twenty thousand dollars of options is worth rather less than twenty thousand dollars and never more. Equity in startups is essentially a lottery ticket. There is a small chance of hitting a jackpot where your equity could be worth a lot of money. There is a much larger chance it will be worthless or valued at only a nominal sum. Startups pay employees in part using cool aid that the equity is a guaranteed moonshot to the moon, like Doge. You will get sold hard by recruiters that your equity is worth more than it should be, and this is simply part of their negotiating process. They naturally want to pay you as little as you are willing to accept. Feel free to watch more episodes like this. Check out fortyinbox.com to contact us with your personal finance question or story. Try to be as descriptive as you can. You can also learn the secret to mastering your money below. And if you want to learn how to make money online below using just your phone and a computer, feel free to go down below as well. By the way, you can listen to the fortyinbox.com podcast where we collect basically. All these different clips into one, so it's a longer form podcast. If you're interested in more of that, so yeah, we'll see you in future episodes. How to close my Bank of America accounts and switch to something else? By the way, this is a problem that a lot of people have with a lot of mainstream banks. So share this with someone who has a mainstream bank that they are complaining about. I have had enough of Bank America and their tremendously high fees. Today was my last straw. Does anyone know the process of removing all my accounts from them and switching somewhere else? Well, if you have a negative balance, you need to go into a branch to pay it off or transfer money from another account to, like, from another bank to pay this off. Right? Basically, how pretty much similar. Let's say that you have like a credit card balance inside your. 
bank accounts and like basically that credit card balance is like part of that bank and you transfer money from like your checking or savings account into that credit card balance because that's a negative balance that's basically what you would have to do in this kind of situation before you're basically allowed to basically get out now you also have to call their customer support line to close the account because typically you cannot actually close your account within a bank of america or similar other bank so that's something to really think about and also pay attention to and if you are able to do it inside make sure you get it in writing that they have closed the account because specifically bank of america and also probably wells fargo has had situations where they kept accounts live of customers that no longer use them and charged them overdraft fees and started to charge them like monthly fees that they typically have if you have less than a certain amount in there because you know maybe they just like there was still like five dollars left that they didn't close out or something and kept the account live and so they were just basically charging ten dollars ten dollars ten dollars twelve dollars fourteen dollars whatever every single month and so i think there was one situation where like a family basically found out that like one of their accounts still existed from bank of america and it was being sent to like collections or something it was for like four or five thousand dollars right so something absolutely insane and like they've never done like business with bank of america for like five years since then and yet bank of america ended up trying to screw them over so that's something to really think about now this is again a problem with a lot of these mainstream banks because typically you're just a number to them you're not really someone worthwhile especially if you don't have like a certain amount of money to your name inside that account for the most part they don't really care about you right now if you're someone who has like you know a net worth of like 10 million dollars or something or if you have like five or ten million dollars going in and out of your bank yeah they're going to pay attention to you they probably offer you a whole bunch of other things but also you wouldn't have really any fees if you have that high amount inside that account so it's just something to think about but feel free to share this with someone who really needs to know how to get out of their bank accounts now you can't close in the branch and they don't have the ability to so check out 40 bucks.com to contact us and basically send us either a financial question or learn how to best master your money now you can also learn the secret to mastering your money below and you can also learn to make money online below see you in future episodes feel free to share this with someone who really needs to learn something about the banking industry